Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome to our second season of Medtronic Talks. In our first season, we spoke with the leaders of Medtronic's operating units to better understand the direction of each of the businesses. Now, with their courses set and clear, we're going to talk to the engineers, scientists, physicians, and other experts who are executing on these strategies. We'll still keep a tight focus on each of Medtronic's businesses, but we are going to get a lot deeper into these stories. Let's go. Hi, everyone. This is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Medtronic Talks podcast. Our guest today is Mira Sani. She is president of Medtronic's pelvic health business. We'll talk about her path into medtech. She's an engineer by training, but she's an innovator by experience. She'll talk about her role at some smaller startups or some larger companies and what her plans are as leader of the pelvic health group at Medtronic. We'll talk about their current offerings, the Interstem device, the pacemaker for your bowel. We'll talk about the need to increase awareness for the seriousness of incontinence. And uh, we'll talk also about some exciting new technologies that are coming down the pike that are being tested for treatment of this debilitating disease. Finally, we'll learn about a great award that Marisani received from MedTech Women. So please do uh, do me a favor before we start this podcast. If you haven't already, like, follow, or subscribe to this podcast on the podcast application that you're listening to. This will enable you to receive future episodes of the Medtronic Talks podcast sent directly to your listening device, to your phone or your iPad, wherever you're listening, whatever you're doing when you're walking the dog or mowing the lawn and you want to catch the next Medtronic Talks podcast, it'll uh, it'll be there waiting for you. So please uh, do that. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please do leave a review. It helps other people find the podcast much more easily. All right, without any further delay, let's hear from Marisani, the president of Medtronic's pelvic health business. Well, Marisani, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. It's great to finally have you. We, we've been uh, you. You were a guest on uh, one of our other podcasts, and I got to know you a little bit there, and was excited when you took this role at Medtronic. So uh, excited to hear about what you're doing there and where the pelvic health space is headed. But first, as always, we'd love to learn about our guests and how they found their way into the medtech industry. And I, I went into the uh, the LinkedIn Wayback Machine to your start, and you didn't start right off in medical devices, right? You had a, a different origin story. Yeah, that's correct, Tom. Well, I've always been interested in medical and, and even in undergrad, I worked in an orthopedics research lab. But I think as a engineer by training, I'm just incredibly passionate about creating value through building things and, you know, really fundamentally changing people's lives through those things. So not, you know, making smaller incremental differences, but really how do you make a step function change in something, really make disruptive and significant products. You know, that led me through a lot of different industries. I um, worked in automotive, grew up in the Michigan area, worked in aerospace and Mm -hmm. military airplanes. And I think you'll find that a lot of those industries have similarities to things of our products at at Medtronic. They're complex, they're high-tech, they're highly regulated, and they, they require integrated systems designs that are held to the highest standards of quality and reliability. So that's kind of my early career is, is working in a, in a number of those different areas. And then I, I took a really deliberate pivot. I went back to do an MBA 
and really focused on pivoting to med tech where mm. I could have a really you know passionate impact on on human lives. That gives me hope because my son is uh, going to be an engineer. He wants to be an aerospace engineer. I've been trying to steer him into biomedical engineering, but maybe he can wet his beak in aerospace and then find his true path in biomedical engineering in, uh, in some form or fashion. So your first med tech job, you were at Agilent Technologies, but I see you became CEO of and co-founder of, uh, was it Myomo? Is that how am I saying it? Yeah, Myomo. Myomo. Uh, that was a medical robotics startup. And it's one I'm honestly, uh, I kind of don't remember clearly. Can you tell us how you got involved with, with that? Yeah, well, I was at MIT. I met the co-founders and we entered um, an innovation business plan competition, which we um, ended up winning and kind of took it from there. We we built everything from the ground up. And I think it was really about you know innovation happening at the intersection of, of different fields. So it was taking something that was pretty standard in electrical engineering, but applying it to neuro and um, layering in robotics technology, again, you know, to address unmet clinical needs for patients and providers. And it was really, really a fascinating journey. So I got to do a lot of things hands-on from, you know, clinical to FDA submission to building out the team. And, and it was really an incredible learning experience. And what was the outcome of that? I see it's uh, according to your your uh, profile. It's public on uh, New York Stock Exchange. Did it go public, or was it acquired by a public company? Yeah, yeah, it went public um, okay. a, a few years ago. And you know, innovation, especially disruptive innovation, is a long journey. But have touched um, so many patients through that technology and really given them freedom. Excellent. And then uh, you went to another larger company, uh, Smith & Nephew, uh, joining their gynecology business. How did that come to be? Were you interested in getting a, a large large company experience as part of your med tech resume? You know, really my interest is around innovation and impact. Mm -hmm. And I saw the opportunity there with the internal innovation that they had in women's health. Again, where they had taken technology that had come from orthopedics and applied it to women's health. And that was a really exciting opportunity to change the standard of care fundamentally in women's health. And um, coincidentally, after you know we did do that, we we ended up selling that business to Medtronic. So it's a small world out there in medtech. So and then you went back to the the startup route, and this is where we you and I connected you with Hylex Orthopedics. Uh, we had at Mass Device selected it as one of our more interesting startups, and that's when you and I spoke for the podcast. What was it about the opportunity to go small again that you found appealing? Again, it's that innovation and impact. And yep. I think um, having worked at a, at a large company that had a lot of um, plays in orthopedics, we knew that cartilage, it was just the holy grail of, of orthopedics. And there was this very interesting, novel, engineered approach to solving the age-old problem of cartilage that the technical co-founders who were out of Stanford had developed. So we licensed that technology and built out that strategy and that business. And that was that was really fun. That's great. Uh, it was a really, really interesting uh, company. I remember we talked during uh, the early days of, uh, of the lockdown. So it was, a, I'm sure, a, a difficult <laughs> time to be running a company for sure. So you're now president of public health at Medtronic. Uh, let's first talk about the problem you're trying to solve. Can we talk a bit about incontinence? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's interesting because if you ask people about incontinence or if they have incontinence and like if your doctor asked you, you know, most people wouldn't say that they had incontinence. So what what is incontinence? It's not not part of that normal everyday vocabulary. So the issues of incontinence can be really, really looked at as twofold, either bowel or bladder incontinence. And so if we look at the on the bladder side, 
It's often referred to as overactive bladder mm-hmm. or voiding dysfunction. And so that can range from having to void too often. And this could be like 15, 20 times a day to every half hour or to on the other end, you know, just having accidents, leakage, you know, that whole aisle in your drugstore mm-hmm. that is dedicated to those products. And then on the other end of the spectrum, it can be just not being able to void fully. So that's on the bladder continuum. And then for the bowel side or fecal, that, that's really uncontrolled loss of feces. And that could be where someone's not even aware of that sensation that mm. they're going or where, you know, where they are aware. And this is incredibly debilitating for people. This is, you know, otherwise healthy people that are sometimes, you know, confined to not leaving their house. It's a leading reason that people are admitted to nursing homes and just, it really takes away their freedom to live their lives, whether that's to work, to be with family, to go out and do activities that, that many of us take for granted. And so when we think about this issue, it is also incredibly common. It is more common than asthma or diabetes. Really? Yet, yet it is something that you know people don't talk about because it's kind of considered shameful. And then I think a lot of people don't appreciate that this is actually a medical clinical condition. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe not if you you drink a gallon of water, then that would be normal, you know, to need to void. But I think there's a, a medical condition and it can be addressed with, you know, medical technologies. Mm-hmm. And, and one of those is, you know, what we have in our portfolio. Is it typically brought on, uh, I imagine, primarily by aging, but are there, am I, or am I, am I incorrect in saying that? Is there, is there a condition that can cause the weakening that would lead to continence? I think there's a correlation with age, but age isn't the cause. And I think many people um, mistakenly think that this is a normal part of aging to become incontinent. And while it is more common in older people, it isn't a necessity. So I think there can be a lot of different causes that could have happened earlier in life. So certainly for women, there are a lot of causes that are correlated with childbirth or things that happen in childbirth where the body changes and then may not fully recover. There also could be complications from different surgeries that people may have had, complications from, you know, other medical issues like cancer or, you know, other treatments that could lead to an effect on the bladder and bowel. Sure. So what are what are the current uh, quote unquote solutions other than when Medtronic is offering? What are the primary go-tos for folks who have identified themselves or experience incontinence? Is it isolation? Is it adult diapers? Are there other other things that, that people are turning to? Well, certainly the first, what's considered first-line therapy in this field would be you know, behavioral modification. So that that would include diet being a big component of that. And I, you know, I joked about it earlier, drinking a gallon of water. So, you know, looking at diet, looking at things that are bladder irritants like like caffeine intake and really paying attention to that. And so that could be working with a physician to do that or just becoming more aware of your kind of intake and outtake. So that's the first line therapy. What's considered second line therapy is currently medication, but there are a lot of unintended, you know, side effects of these medications and they often fail or patients fail to take them because of those side effects. And then the third group of solutions is really where you might have a surgical intervention like our InterSTEM portfolio. Right. Well, that's uh, that's a good segue into uh, talking about what you're offering there at Medtronic. So 
What products do you oversee at Pelvic Health? Yeah. So, you know, what's really fascinating is that about 25 years ago, Medtronic pioneered this whole space. And the technology that is the primary technology that we offer is called sacral neuromodulation. And, you know, this was developed in partnership with a a number of physicians to really look at how do we treat those symptoms associated with overactive bladder and fecal incontinence. And it was really due to that high dissatisfaction with the other options. Like they just weren't working well. And the products that we offer, you know, they work through their implantable devices for the most part, and they stimulate the nerves. And that is really thought to normalize that brain-bladder communication pathway. And then it ultimately restores function and alleviates those symptoms of incontinence. Kind of the common way people refer to it is the pacemaker for your bladder or your bowel. And that is also why Medtronic was uniquely suited to originally innovate in this therapy and bring it to market. So it, it leverages a lot of the core technologies that Medtronic has you know, from other divisions, from neuromodulation, from cardiac. The other products that we have, we do have a product that it's also non-surgical and that is offered as a therapy where the patient could come in and it's almost like an acupuncture type thing where we deliver that therapy, but rather than implanting the device, the patient would come in once a week and get Hmm. that neuromodulation in that way. And so it's a non-implantable tibial neuromodulation. The challenge with that is it requires a lot of dedication on the patient's part. And so while it's very effective, they have to keep coming back to the doctor. And so oftentimes patients will then decide that they're ready for the permanent implant. Interesting. So, well, let's talk about, uh, about Interstim first, about the implantable. How is that implanted? What's the procedure like and what is it actually stimulating to get the desired outcome? Yeah, great, great question, Tom. So the procedure has really been optimized and developed over the past 25 years and, you know, in partnership with a number of physicians globally. We actually do that procedure uh, mostly as a two-step procedure. So the patient first goes in and has the procedure and they get a trial. Mm -hmm. Um, So they go home and they get to see if the therapy works well for them. And so that is not an implant, but just a procedure where the lead that provides the stimulation to the nerve is put in there, but then there's a temporary kind of battery on the outside that powers the device. And then the most amazing thing about this therapy is that the patients control the therapy in their own body. Oh, okay. And so the patients have the ability to adjust their therapy settings in coordination with their clinician and use a number of different programs or an on-off switch, or a, they can turn it up or down to adjust their therapy until they get to the optimal therapy setting. Is there an interface on the phone, or or is there a, a, something on the surface of the skin? How is that? How is that done? Yeah, it's it's through a smartphone-like device. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. so it's it's pretty amazing yeah. that a patient can control an implant in their own body that way, and, and obviously clinicians can as well. Yeah, I would think so. And can it be adjusted for behavior? Like, look, I know I'm going on a longer plane trip or something. I need more help than if I'm at home. Is it that sort of thing? Or do you set on a therapy and kind of keep it at a single setting? Well, you know, what we've we found through the research and, and a number of clinical publications is that more isn't necessarily better. Okay. Um, 
And so turning, you know, turning it up to 11 is not um, necessarily <laughs> better. And yeah. actually what's really interesting is that the publications say that sub-threshold stimulation works as well. So often what they do in the clinic is they will set the setting and then they'll dial it back so the patient doesn't even feel it. And that's, that's ideal because they become unaware of the, that they're, they, they're having the therapy and it's working in the background. And who implants the device? Which sort of doctor? Yeah, we have three main specialties that support the patients and depending on you know where the patients come from. So urologists are certainly at the center. So they are urologists that specialize in female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgery. And then we also have urogynecologists who are also fellowship trained who, you know, they would only treat women, but a majority of these patients are women. And then we also have colorectal surgeons. They would be focused on the fecal incontinence patients. And then there's also some overlap, you know, with patients that would have both of those symptoms. Interesting. So how aware are, are people suffering from incontinence of this option? Is, it, is this the sort of thing that is brought to their attention by most physicians? Is this something that you're bringing to their attention directly? What's, how are you looking to sort of build market and perhaps inform people who are suffering silently that there may be an option for them that will allow them to basically get their lives back or help them get that part of their lives back? Yeah, Tom, that's, that's a really good question about awareness. And one of the things that we find really exciting is that this market has been growing double digits year over year. At the same time, we're just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of the market penetration. So we're less than 5% penetrated between us and any of the other players in the market. And that's really due to low awareness. And that is on both the sides of the physicians, general practitioners, as well as the side of patients. Because I think as you referred to earlier, many people just think this is a normal part of aging, but it's not normal. It's actually a medical condition that can be helped with a medical intervention. And so I think the first barrier is just people don't want to talk about something that they don't think there's a solution to, whether that's a physician or a patient. There's no point in bringing it up, right? It's just a futile exercise. And a lot of people think that. And so we have to change that perception through education. And so we do a lot of work on awareness, whether that's building awareness in the general practitioner community or with gynecologists, neurologists that aren't practicing this specialty so that they can refer to those specialty centers who are experts in doing this, mm -hmm. as well as through really direct-to-consumer awareness-building campaigns. If we think about, you know, while fully respecting the role of the healthcare provider and that kind of doctor-patient relationship, we have to acknowledge the presence of Dr. Google in our lives, right? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, when you consider the low awareness, this is a perfect opportunity. So we're in our third year of some direct-to-consumer marketing to really drive patient engagement and advocacy around this type of therapy. We have a consumer website that's called controlleaks.com, mm -hmm. and it really aims to help patients understand if they have overactive bladder and to help them find a physician in their area who can help them with that condition. We also have a program where we have basically patient ambassadors, and they are volunteers whose lives have been just completely changed by this therapy. And they volunteer to talk to potential patients about getting this therapy. And that's also been a really effective kind of peer-to-peer -peer program for education. 
Are you able to talk about uh, the reimbursement for this? Is it something that's reimbursed or is it private pay? Well, so that depends where you are in the world. I think in the U.S., we're very fortunate to have reimbursement across all the different types of payers and healthcare systems because this has been clinically proven to be effective. And we generally have good reimbursement globally, although that depends on the specific market that people are in. Sometimes it may be better reimbursed for certain conditions than for other conditions, meaning what the impetus of your overactive bladder, your fecal incontinence, where did that come from? And it depends. Interesting. Okay. So where is this uh, headed in the future? What new technologies are, are you developing and how do they differ from, from Interstem or what, what improvements will they bring or different approaches will they bring? Yeah, I think we're just at the very beginning of what we can do with this therapy. There's so much research that has been done and innovation that has been led by Medtronic in this space. One of the things that I am most excited about is the potential to take this from kind of a niche market to the mainstream and really help kind of 10x or 100x the number of patients that have been able to benefit from this therapy because there are so many people out there that have this condition. And One of the things that we're excited about is taking the proven technology that I mentioned earlier, which is tibial stimulation, which has been done for 10 to 15 years in a non-implantable version. And the technology is ready now for, uh, you know, based on the miniaturization of electronics and other technical advances that we're able to have implantable solutions in that anatomy. At Medtronic, we're in our pivotal trial right now for an implantable tibial neuromodulation system for overactive bladder. And that is really, really exciting. It's going to be a game changer because it has the potential to just appeal to a much wider patient population. The procedure itself can be done in a doctor's office. And you know, not having to go into surgery, not having to have anesthesia, all those types of things that, that tibial can enable has the potential to reduce significantly the burden to getting this therapy. You don't have to do the trial step. You don't have to you know, go under anesthesia. That's very powerful. It becomes a procedure. You see your doctor, they recommend the procedure, you schedule a date, you come back, you have the procedure, you go home and you have the opportunity to have greater freedom in your life. Secondly, the procedure is just much simplified for the clinician. It has to be for them to be able to do it in that type of office environment. And so we've kind of taken all the learnings from the implantable on the sacral side and combined it with the learnings from the non-implantable tibial therapies that are available today from us and others and, you know, combine that in a really nice package that just has huge potential to mainstream this therapy. Where is the device implanted? We had Brett Wall was at our recent Device Talks West meeting, and I believe he talked about this device in his bioelectric medicine presentation. Uh, and I didn't realize it was for uh, for this application. So, so where would this stimulation device? How big is it, and where would it be implanted? It's really small. Okay. So you can't see it um, once it's implanted. It goes just above the ankle in oh. the tip, and so that it can affect the tibial nerve. But it's really impressive. Wow. One wouldn't think that I, I will, one, I wouldn't think that there was a, the nerve connection down there to uh, control incontinence, but that's the tibial nerve is, uh, seems to be an important interface with, uh, with those muscles. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Amazing. Amazing. That's great. 
Excellent. Well, it sounds like there's a, a lot of opportunity for growth here. Do you have an estimate as to, or a hope as to when the tibial stimulator might be, uh, implantable stimulator might be on the market, or is that something we're not going to project on, <laughs> knowing that these things take time? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I withdraw the question. Final topic. You were recently honored at the MedTech Women Conference with the, the Farrell and Powell Award, which uh, is given to uh, the Farrell and Powell Leadership Award. Talk a bit about receiving that that award. It must have been a, a great honor. Oh, thank you, Tom. Yeah, this it was a career highlight for me to accept that award. The award is is named after Farrell and Powell, who was you know a great leader, innovator, CEO, and it recognizes someone who kind of embodies those you know her qualities, um, things like persistence, passion, dedication to innovation, patience, and mentoring, and. I think earlier when we were talking, I talked about innovation being at the intersection of, of ideas in different fields and that being a trend and a theme for me. I think also when you think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, that has also been shown to be critical components for driving innovation as well. And as leaders, I think we have a responsibility to kind of pay it forward and mentor others. And so I really couldn't be more honored to have been selected for that award. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations uh, for winning. And thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast. It was great to have you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Tom. I mean, we are so excited about the future opportunities to drive kind of really long-term benefit for patients in this field that is just completely underserved. Fantastic. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thanks again to Marisani for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for listening and, of course, for subscribing to this podcast. Again, we're available in any major podcast application. Final request, please share this podcast on social media. If you share it on LinkedIn, please connect with me there. I am Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I. You can also share it on Twitter. You can find me there at MedTechTom. Be great to connect with you in any case. Please do reach out. We'd love to be part of your future MedTech conversations. Thank you so much for joining us. Tune in next time. We'll have another great episode of the Medtronic Talks podcast waiting for you.